Hi everyone, it's Witchy Bites. Liz here for another episode. Uh, this month I'm talking to you about Lunasart or Lamas, whichever you celebrate. I can't believe it's 2021. It's crazy. I've had to write the date 1st of January three times and I even looked up a moon calendar and I was really shocked it opened in January and not December. So I'm clearly being dragged into the new year. Not kicking and screaming because I'm not sad to see 2020 past, but I'm not convinced 2021 is going to be much better. But we'll see. We'll be tentative about entering the new year. So I am actually recording on the 1st of January for our mid-month episode. I hope everyone had a really good New Year's Eve and I'm really sorry if you're in lockdown or couldn't celebrate with your friends or family. That's that's really, really crappy, particularly over the Christmas period. Who knows what's going to happen moving forward? Hopefully it will be less of the same. So, yes, as mentioned before today, I'm talking about Lamas or Lunasar. They're actually not different names for the same harvest festival, You see so many times in modern pagan books that they're interchanged or that the symbolism for either festivals are kind of swapped around in that in a way that not clear about which one's which. So I'm hoping to dispel some of that information. Not that I'm saying that's bad. You can celebrate both at the same time and pick one of the the names. That's absolutely fine. I think it's good to know the distinction between the two. What's been going on with me? I'd say magically I've I had a pretty profound moment during the summer solstice. I, I actually did a ritual. I don't always do rituals for the actual Sabbaths because I like to celebrate more on seasonal observations. But I decided to re-enter the Tree of Life um, because I left it as my Kabbalah course came to an end. And I sat in Darth, uh, which is kind of like the void space within the tree. I kind of like to think of it as the black hole that leads to another realm, kind of like you see in Stargate, you know, like traveling through the black holes. So I was sitting in Darth and I got a very clear message about where I need to focus my intentions this year with my well, my life in general, not just my pagan path, but I think it's my pagan path, um, which was really cool. The next day I hung up decoration on my mantelpiece. I just have like sticks in a vase and I decorated those with dehydrated orange slices. And that got received really well. And I don't know who by or whether it was just the energy of the season, but something really spoke to me about it like it was it was an amazing experience I will say I I feel like it maybe was related to the message I received so if anyone has any ideas about orange slices I'd love to hear about it I've had a bit of a a look not a very a very good look but essentially you know with oranges being associated with the summer solstice perhaps it was just tapping into those energies in a imaged way I guess also, I love that my husband, he saw that I'd hung up the orange slices and he didn't even bat an eyelid. And I said to him, oh, you know, I'm kind of surprised you haven't said anything. He was like, eh, pagan things. So uh, that made me laugh. Do you ever get like pagan things as a response to some of the things you do? I remember seeing on the, in the Witch Bitch Amateur Hour, they had a special where they got their partners on. Charlie and Macy got their partners in. They talked about pagan things, witchy things in that podcast, and it makes me think of that, which is really cool. 
If you haven't heard that episode, it's kind of cool to hear from a partner's perspective what they think about witchy practice. Okay. Life things. Um, Nothing's changed. More the same. Uh, I now have four wallaby joeys, three brush tail possums joeys, and two eastern barred bandicoot joeys. So my hobby is definitely keeping me busy outside of work, although I'm about to release a posse. So Peanut will be heading out to the wild. So hopefully everything will be a-okay for him. So if you do like uh, sending out some energy for success, uh, Peanut could definitely use some. It's a bit tough being a boy possum in the world of territories. Oh, 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 I just want to say thank you. Thank you so much to the people who took time to provide feedback to the last episode with Jess. It was all beautiful, wonderful, really kind feedback. And I really appreciate it. It's it's one of those things that like when you're doing a podcast, sometimes it feels like you're talking to the ether, which is fine. But when you do get messages back like this, it uh, it does make you realize that people are listening and I'm really, really grateful that you found what Jess had to say really valuable because I agree. I felt really inspired after talking with her and really gave me a lot to think about the ways that you can provide to community as a member of the community. And it doesn't have to be group rituals. Like it can be anything. It could be like having a podcast or I don't know, maybe having an Instagram account or maybe you're a TikTok witch or maybe you... I don't know, maybe you go have cups of coffee with other pagans. I don't know, something. Something about how just having those conversations as part of the community can be really important in shaping the community and shaping yourself. So um, thank you. Thank you for that wonderful, wonderful feedback. So Lamas and Lunasa, I'm going to say that I have not covered remotely everything for either of these festivals. I've really simplified it and um, I've just picked out a few things to talk about. There's quite a bit to unpack. I will say that my favourite, this is actually my favourite festival, is the Lunasa Lamas one. So much so it's inspired a tattoo that I have on my arm. So yeah, so I'm excited to talk about it. And there are things that I've learned about it because I've always just, as you know, like I spend a lot of my time doing my practice by feel within nature. So it doesn't always mean that I understand why I do things or where I've read something and have taken on the practice. I haven't understood where it's come from. So it's been really cool researching for this episode. Okay, so this is a harvest festival. And there are so many annual harvest festivals around the around the world and some are continuing today and some are through history. So I guess mostly harvest festivals happen around the time of main harvest for that area. So there are different climates and there are different kinds of plants in different areas and so the harvest festival can really vary depending on where you live and that really can affect the time that you might celebrate. So maybe in America you have Thanksgiving and that's a time of harvest and and thanks. So that's seen as a harvest festival and that's November. That was a ramble, but (laughs) what I'm essentially trying to say is that harvest festivals can happen throughout the year depending on where you live. It doesn't have to be autumn. It could be at other other times of the year. Lamas and Lunasa traditionally fall in the Southern Hemisphere around the 1st of February because we flip the calendar six months ahead. It's the 1st of August in the Northern Hemisphere. 
But if we take the astronomical date, so remember how we talked about the actual time between the uh, summer solstice and the equinox and directly halfway in between if we're taking the astronomical date, we have Lammas Alunisa. And that date this year is on the 4th of February at 2021. Uh, and that's at 12.40 a.m. Um, Australian Eastern Daylight Savings Time. Gosh, that's a mouthful. There's some information that suggested that there's some traditions where the festival is celebrated to the closest full moon to Lammas Alunisa. And for Australia, that will be the 29th of January 2021 at 6.16am. It's probably when I'm going to celebrate. Today, what I'm going to focus mostly on is the UK and Ireland. Um, but I'll also mention some other European countries just because I found some of the the harvest festivals listed on Wikipedia really endearing. So, But mostly that's going to be my focus. Well, one of the cool festivals is one in Japan. I love this festival and you may have heard of it. It's called the Honen Matsuri, which is <laughs> definitely one to Google. It's a harvest festival where they parade a large, I think it's like 250 kilogram phallic symbol through the streets. And the pictures are amazing, and yeah, it's it's a it's a definitely worth checking out the images for that. So, Honen Matsuri. So, some of the things that are similar amongst all harvest festivals is that it includes feasting on the local food that's in season at the time. There are contests, be that sporting contests. There's also music, and it has some things to do with the romance. But essentially, it's just a time for people to to unwind, to enjoy themselves because they've been working hard. They have been working in the fields. They have been picking fruits. They have been cutting grass, you know, all those things. So it's a time to kick back and, and have some fun, even though you're working really, really hard. I guess the way uh, it's really hard to talk about Lamas and Lunasa in ways that are meaningful because the calendar has got a little bit skewed with the Wheel of Eight, but essentially it's an early season harvest festival. It's kind of weird to say whether it's an autumn festival or a summer festival because it kind of depends on where you live. Remember how we talked about how there were two seasons in some areas, like summer and winter were the only seasons, so it's a summer festival in those cases. And then like an autumn festival for some people, the coming of autumn, like it's transitioning into the autumn season. Lammas or Lammas Day, I'm going to start with Lammas, is an Anglo-Saxon festival. So this is different to Lunasar, which is a Gaelic festival. So Lammas is an Anglo-Saxon festival known as Loaf Mass. It's actually a Christian holiday. And of course, it's probably taken from pagan origin, but it's, it's, it's a Christian festival. And it's where loaves and fruit are harvested and are brought to church for blessing. In medieval times, the festival was also called the Ghoul of August, G-U-L-E, so I probably pronounced that wrong. It marked the end of the hay harvest, and that started after midsummer. So once the hay had been collected and put away, there was this uh, tradition, this medieval tradition of letting a sheep go in the pasture. And then people would have to try and catch this sheep and whoever caught the sheep could keep it. 
In Scotland, Lammas is one of the cross-quarter days. So this is where it's a little bit tricky because we start looking at the Gaelic festivals because of the cross-quarter days. But essentially, this was a time that represented periods of employing servants, collecting rent and doing other kind of businesses. So the other cross-quarter days were Beltane, Samhain and Inbox. So, you know, the, the thing that we see in the pagan calendar today that's mostly celebrated Of course, this has changed now in modern times. I think it was in the 1800s to Scottish terms um, and it no longer corresponds with the festivals. But I love that those dates were a time to mark on the calendar. Okay, so some of the big themes. So we've got grain. In Lammas, we have grain. In different parts of England, tenants on properties would harvest fresh wheat and they would then go and present it to their landlords. We also have like the loaf, the bread, which is the one that most people are familiar with for Lammas. And this is where the loaf is made and is taken to church and is blessed. And then the loaf would be broken up into quarters and placed in the corners of buildings like such as barns. And this was like a protection ritual that was conducted to protect against the to protect the grain that was in the barns. That's why they'll put in the quarters of the the quarters, the corners of the building. So loaf is, that's that's where essentially when we're talking about loaf mass, we're talking about that aspect of it, which we can, of course, still do today. There was one reference I found to it being called lamb mass, and this was by someone called John Brady. And just to give you some idea of the time period of this, it, he died in 1814. So it was some time before then that this was mentioned by him. There wasn't an actual clear date to that reference. But yes, they called it Lamb Mass. Um, And so there was a cathedral in York. I think it is called the Cathedral of York. And they had people bring live lambs to church. And I guess that makes sense. Like when you think about it at this time of year, they'd be quite fat with all the harvest and and the grass around and that kind of thing. So really, it it makes sense that it would be something that could be celebrated as part of the harvest at this time. I did go into some journal articles because I wanted to see what what were some of the traditions that weren't mentioned in some of the more obvious places. So in my journal dive, I found some cool little things for Lamas. So there was a thing mentioned about in Wiltshire, England, where someone had left a wreath of flowers as a volative offering at Lamas, which was put on some stones. I didn't say where they were. In the picture, it looked like a cave, which was cool. I really I really um, thought it looked like a, a cave or some kind of rocky outcrop or into a hill, that kind of thing. I did wonder if it was at the top of a hill because there's that kind of association with Lunasar, but again, they're separate festivals, so there may not be anything in that. Now to say this properly, Leconomancy, 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 (laughs) I just made that last one up, but this is essentially like doing readings from cups, so you know kind of like how they do tea leaf reading, it was really similar, but this was done with divining shapes from shapes formed by oil or flour in the surface of water. And this was recorded as a custom in Shetland and it was linked to the end of the fishing season. And there, was, there wasn't actually instructions recorded on how to do this, but uh, 
I did love that they did record that the that before reading with the cup you had to throw it facing the sun and then you could read from the cup it like did something uh to the reading and like charged it maybe who knows but I did thought that was cool so that could be fun to try as well um there was also a a really cool Welsh folklore that I came across where they used Lammas houses and these were on this was done on Lammas Sunday so it's still Lammas um but these houses were made of like mud reeds and sticks and then they lit fires inside of them and then apples were roasted inside the houses and I absolutely love this especially this is the apple season the beginning of apple season in the hill and where I live is February I really want to do this this would be really fun to do I might not be able to do it with (laughs) dirt and and reeds and sticks to create the the house especially since we're going through bushfire season here it's it's not it's not gonna happen but it's unlikely to happen I should say Modern day England. So let's talk about some of the festivals that are still occurring today. In Devon, in Exeter, there is still the Lammas Fair that is done annually. Uh, It's been running for over 900 years. How amazing. How freaking amazing is that? Unfortunately, it didn't run in 2020 because of, you know, COVID-19. And the previous time that it didn't run was World War II. So, like, this has a really long established history of occurring, this festival of occurring for Lammas. So, from what I understand, there's a white pole, uh, a long white pole that has a white leather glove, like a large one. Like, don't think normal sized leather glove. Think like a abnormal sized large leather glove. And it is stuffed. Um, I didn't say what with, but it's stuffed so it feel, so it's filled out. And it's attached to the end of the pole. And then there's like flower garlands, a flower garland around the bottom of the glove where it attaches the pole. And then there are ribbons coming out of it. And this pole is carried by the mayor. And this, this pole with this giant white leather glove on top is carried by the mayor through the town. And traditionally, the white glove represented the king, or in some cases, the queen, obviously's protection, and that the city was open for trade. So it was kind of like a symbol of benevolence, and as well as, I guess, authority. But essentially, the mayor carried the glove through the streets, uh, with also <laughs> with dignitaries marching behind him. And then the mayor stops at, I think it was three different sites, and he reads this historic um, proclamation that was issued in the 1300s in 1330 and then when he's done the glove is then hoisted above the guild hall where it remains for three days and then the festival continues for those three days where there is food and markets and that kind of thing I kind of I really want to go see this this festival especially since um I have some history ancestry in that region so it's such a cool and unique little festival like where did it come from? I just think it's amazing. We do have some modern day Australian customs with Lam- with Lammas and this surprised me. So I found these articles in Trove and there was talk about banks in Brisbane, Queensland observing a holiday for Lammas. And one of the articles was written in 1910. So I should say modernish. <laughs> 
it's over 100 years old. The workers would take this annual holiday for Lammas and then they would go and have a football match which was held between um, insurance companies and and the banks. So it was like insurance companies versus the banks. And then once the match had finished, they into the evening, they would then have what's called a smoke concert. I didn't know about these. This is something completely new for me too, a new concept. But these were these men-only concerts uh, where they would smoke, talk about politics, you know, possibly work. And they'd also listen at the same time to new music that was on the scene. So those, these are what smoke concerts were. So we do. We have a tradition here in Australia for, La- for Lamas Day that has our own little flair with our Australian football. I found an article in Trove about something called the Harvest Thanksgiving Celebration. So in northern Tasmania at the Butley Methodist Church, and this article is from 1931, stated that the church was decorated with grain, fruit, vegetables, home products, so I guess things like jams and knits and that kind of thing, and flowers, and then they would have a sale of the produce and gifts by auction as a way to raise money for charity or the church. And when I got to the end of the article, I saw that my grandfather, my dad's dad, was mentioned in the article um, as helping out at the auction. So it just, it blew me away that, again, I have this other association with this festival that that is actually in my family. And it it really makes me realise that this is something that I should be incorporating my ancestry veneration with as well. Like, this is such a symbol that he would recognise. And and if I put these things on my altar and maybe donated some money to charity and so putting the fruits of the season on my altar and some of the dry grass and that kind of thing, then I feel like that would be a good way to honour his memory. And I'm sure he would approve wholeheartedly about that. But, but, what I remembered after reading that is I used to do this when I was a child. So I've mentioned before that I was raised in a Christian family. My parents and I attended the Uniting Church of Australia. That's what my parents my parents took us to as kids. And they would hold the annual Harvest Thanksgiving celebration at the churches I went to. And I remember at um, the Trobe in Northern Tasmania, I remember more clearly, apparently we did it at Whitemore and Bracknell as well. There was, there was bread and there was grains and there was fruit and vegetables that were decorating the front of the of the church, like kind of like the altar area. It's probably not called an altar area. I can't remember the exact term for it, but there was a um, a space for it. And I assume they did an auction. I don't remember that. I just remember all the beautiful colours from the festival. And this was ha- happened. The, the, this happened around March, so it was a little bit later, probably closer to the autumn equinox. Like certainly, the article that was written um, mentioning my grandfather was late March. I think it was like March thirtieth. But it 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 just it made me so happy to realise that I actually have these. I'll have experienced these customs without even realising that it was happening. And it makes me wonder if you have too. So if it has, I would love to hear about it. Please let me know. I did ask my dad if it was still occurring. He said that that last few years it has fallen to the wayside, um, particularly at Whitemore. So um, people have got older and people aren't 
that the last one that they did have, which was a few years ago, they didn't get that much produce to to be auctioned, so it kind of just fell to the wayside. But I'm sure there are places in Australia that are still doing it, so that's um, that was really cool. Thing that happens around Lammas, which has Lammas in the title, is something called Lammas growth. And it's kind of like a, a second season of new plant growth um, that happens in some temperate regions. And this happens in both hemispheres. It also happens in the southern hemisphere. So for us, it's occurring now in January and February. So if you go and look at these trees, you'll see that there's a new lot of growth on them. It's common in introduced species. So think like ash, oak, beeches, sycamore, yew, um, hawthorn. And it's thought to be an evolutionary response to insect damage. So this could be a really good symbol for you being able to identify when this season is happening around you. It doesn't happen with older trees, though. So it tends to happen with younger trees that, I guess, require much more, uh, where it's more stressful to have insects predating on their leaves and stuff. So, so yeah, so make sure you're looking at young trees and not mature trees because you won't see it on those trees. So that's Lammas. That's pretty much Lammas in a nutshell. I think that it's something that I will continue to do, but in a in a completely different way. So that's Lammas. Let's talk about Lunasar. As I mentioned before, Lunasar is a Gaelic festival. And Lunasar comes from Lu, the god, and then Nasar, which means assembly. So it's an assembly of Lu, essentially, is what this this festival's definition is in its title. It does also mark the beginning of the harvest season and like I said it's part of the four Gaelic festivals of which uh, Samhain is another harvest festival. It's kind of tricky to know how reputable the information was that I was reading because I noticed that in a, in a many of the journal articles and the academic articles on this top on the topic of Lunasar they mostly quoted a single scholar called Marie McNeil. And I don't know if if there's any questions around what she wrote. I it sounds like she was a very thorough scholar. And so I I feel like if you wanna be a hundred percent certain you should do some research into how much she knew, like, you know, I don't think she was another Margaret Murray or that kind of thing where she she jumped at things. I think she did proper folklore research. So so I think just just double check that before you start <laughs> regurgitating what I'm saying about about this stuff. So from what I could tell, Lunasar festival activities tended to happen at the top of hills. And often part of the festival would be some kind of pilgrimage or walk up the top of the hill. Pilgrimage side of it kind of has been taken over by Christianity. So there's some pilgrimages that happen at this time of year. When I say this time of year, I mean August in the Northern Hemisphere. But at this festival, uh, that still happened today and that you could possibly join in on. So essentially many of the celebrations that happened on these hills were religious ceremonies such as offering of the first fruit. A lot of sources talked about bilberries, which I had never heard of, um, but they're essentially European or English blueberries, so they're blueberries. And there's also some talk about like a ritual dance play, which was between the, I assume he's a god, but maybe he's not a god, the Crom 
Cromdub, C-R-O-M-D-U-B-H, who guards his grain as treasure. And I guess like this, this guarding can also be viewed as like blight. I saw it referenced as being blight, blight of the grain. And then Lou, God Lou, would then have to seize the grain to then prevent blight for all humankind. So it was really important ritual process to ensure for a good harvest. And then sometimes that might be have been played out by like a battle with sticks. Uh, which I thought was cool. Let's let's do some stick fighting on the top of a hill. So there was also the cutting of the first corn would happen at Lunasar. So we do see things for this festival around corn, and and this is why. Um, and then this corn would be then offered to deity again. This would be done at the top of a high place and and buried. So burying it was the way of offering it to deity. That was also done with things like fruits, like blueberries and and that kind of thing. So it wasn't just corn, but like any kind of ritual offering. Um, I did see that there was also burying of, say, like flower garlands or crowns, like people would be decorated on their pilgrimage or their walk up to up the hill to the summit. And then when they got up there, they would then perhaps bury the flowers at the top of the summit as a way to to provide an offering. So that may, might be a really nice thing to do if you can go to a place that isn't a national park. Maybe you can walk up a hill of the space and then make an offering. That might be a little bit harder to do, but maybe there's some like public walks that aren't national parks that you could do that in. That's one side of it is the ritual ceremonies. Um, there are also like ritual athletic contests. And I found something called the Tao Ta- Ta- <laughs> Oh my god, my pronunciation's so bad. And I did practice this. Tautian games. Um, so these games were made in honor of Lou's foster mother who died clearing the plains of Ireland for agriculture. So he set up these games so that people would honor her like they were like funeral games essentially and competitions and things like that that I do believe still run in Ireland today so in some places and I think that's why like even though it was Lammas the football kind of fitted in nicely like the football in Australia fits in nicely because it kind of fits into the Lunasar side of things so if you're celebrating both aspects of this this festival then uh, a football game or a match could be a really good way to do it Feasting on seasonal foods obviously was a massive symbol because it's a harvest festival. In Scotland, there was uh, special cakes made called Lunastains, Lunastins, I think Lunastins, and then these were also offered to the gods. There was also matchmaking, uh, you know, all the good things that happen at festivals. There's got to be matchmaking. Um, there was trading. And there's also well visits. So this was another festival where wells were visited, um, particularly in Ireland. And so it was, again, the same kind of thing where you walk around the well and the at sunrise for health and you left offerings of coins or clutes and that kind of thing. So a well visit could very much be in your practice or at least some kind of body of water visit for Lunasar. Um, there were some sacrifices I found, like there was a bull sacrifice. And the other major thing that happened at this time was this marriage ceremony where people would get uh, married, but it'd only be for a year and a day. And then when they got to the end of that year and a day, they could then decide to divorce. 
and they could go into another marriage ceremony. So if they wanted to. In Australia, we see a lot of February weddings because the weather is nice and it does. It fits beautifully into this festival with that that time. I certainly got married in February. So some of these customs continued until about the 20th century and then but they're probably known under slightly different names because of, you know, changes in language and, you know, Christianity trying to knock things out. But so they could have been known as Garland Sunday, Bilberry Sunday or Blueberry Sunday. I like that. Mountain Sunday or Crom Dub Sunday. I know that's pronounced wrong. One of the things I did find specifically mentioned was that bonfires weren't really something for this festival. They could occur in some places, but it was incredibly rare and it mostly happened at large open air gatherings in Ireland specifically. Like There were just certain places, so uh, County Meath, uh, Kilkenny and Limerick, they all had all had bonfires and there was mention at Limerick that the fire was jumped and raced around for protection much like what you see at Beltane so I thought that was really interesting to to note as well but I think water is much stronger symbolism at this festival than than fire is so I did also do a little bit of a journal dive for this one I really want to read McNeil's book. Um, it was written in 19... One of the copies I found published was 1988 that I think I can get my hands on through work. So I'm definitely going to try and do that. But it's really expensive to buy because it's out of print. And I found a copy for $700. And so, no, <laughs> it's just not going to happen. That was $700 Australian dollars. But essentially, McNeil talked about how horse racing was something that happened at this time. And by racing, it was racing the horses into the ocean without saddles, which is, uh, I'm not sure if that's an important detail, but that was what was mentioned in the article. But this <laughs> ended up getting outlawed by Christianity, essentially. So then people started racing into the oceans naked uh, and then that got outlawed. And so then people started bathing their horses in the ocean. So, like, there's this whole bathing in the ocean thing that uh, that I like. And I think, especially living on the east coast of Australia, being able to get to a beach for this festival is so important. And um, I do have my spot. I do go to a beach most years. I say that like I've done it every year, only started a few years ago, but it it felt right and I've just continued with it. So, yeah, (laughs) go get in the water. You may not be able to be naked. You may not be able to go skinny dipping in a public space, but uh, if if it's private, maybe you can. I also saw it mentioned uh, in another article, this was the Gailey article, which I'll link below, that Linusar had much larger gatherings than other cross quarter days or cross quarter festivals unlike say things like Beltane or Sawin which tended to be dominated by family or for personal observation so Lunasar is a big party festival which I, I really like and I guess I guess that's kind of the summer vibes that come with the warm weather and lots of food and not much to worry about if if things are good and you're not hungry and that kind of thing. So, yeah, I kind of I kind of see that like a how this festival works in that way. 
so modern customs. I like I said, modern pilgrim pilgrimages still occur. There's the Park Fair in Count, County Kerry, uh, and this fair's been going on since the 16th century that that's, was first documented, so who knows if it was going on longer than that. It probably was. This festival, the town's menfolk go and catch a wild goat and then bring it back to town, which is then crowned as the king of the festival. And then, uh, unfortunately, it mentioned that he was kept in a small cage, which I, made me sad. If he's going to be a king, he should be treated like a king with large spaces and, you know, <laughs> that kind of thing, and fed the whole yards. Oh, yes. And then the queen uh, was also crowned, but this would be like a girl from the town, like a, a human being. So I thought that was a really interesting trade-off between those two things, like I, the, the king and queen of that aspect of the festival. And maybe that's where some of the the more modern pagan themes with the god and goddesses has come from. The festivals, much like Lammas, include traditional music, dancing, parades, arts and craft workshops, horse and cattle fair, markets. There's other towns that also have modern day, like current Lunasar fairs that might include storytelling. County Clare. County Clare has this Lunasar festival that shows what daily Gaelic life was like. So they have people dress up in replica clothing and they have replica artifacts and weaponry and jewellery and just show what daily life was like, which would be so cool to see. So, of course, when we're talking about modern day practice, let's talk about neo-paganism. I'm sorry, that's a trigger word for some people, but modern day paganism and and Wicca. Both of these practices, depending on how you label yourself, takes from both festivals, from Lammas and Lunasar. And in some ways, sometimes they're kind of high, a hybrid of both, and some of the things that happen in them are a hybrid of both. For example, in the Wiccan festival, Lammas or Lunasar is seen as the first autumn harvest festival, and there's three. There's obviously this one, the autumn equinox, and then Samhain. And at Lunasar slash Lammas, because I'm just going to use them interchangeably in this case, you see th- ideas around people celebrating with baking bread, which is Lammas, but they do it in the shape of a corn god, and then it's sacrificed through eating. And that's sort of more Lunasar. So it's kind of like this uh, hybrid between the two that's sort of come together, and it works well. Like People are really happy with it. As I mentioned, hand fasting seen to happen at this time, and that's because, you know, the weather's gorgeous and it might be linked to the year-in-a-day marriages that came out of Lunasa as well, which is why they might happen at this time of year. There's a lot in the many, many modern festivals and certainly some of the things that I do, there's a lot of providing thanks for what's being grateful for what's coming to your life and what's been harvested in your life and that kind of thing and some of that gratitude might be to spirit or deity or it could be um just the universe it could be internal there are so many ways that this gratitude that comes across with this festival and i guess that's part of what celebrating this festival is is being happy and easy and and being grateful for what's going on in your life. 
I did read one thing which I thought was really cute and I'm going to pay way more attention to, but uh, reconstructionists in particular see a gentle rain at Lunasar either on during the ritual or later in the day as a way of Lou passing his blessings onto the event and to the participants of the event. So I really like that. And I do recall at one of my Lunasar festivals many, many, many moons ago, like 2001, where there was a really gentle sun shower afterwards. And I just remember it being really, um, really profound at the time. So I guess this could be why. Okay, so I want to talk about a Slavic Slavic festival that I think is amazing. It's called the Feast of Transfiguration or Apple Feast of the Saviors. It's held around the 19th of August. Um, so if you're going to flip it six months for the Southern Hemisphere, think 19th of February. And this holiday marked the ripening of fruits, particularly centered around apples. It marked the beginning of autumn. So remember how I said that some of these festivals are marking autumn and some are marking late summer, harvest of summer. So it marked the beginning of autumn and represented the transfiguration of nature. And fruit was often blessed with holy water at this festival. Again, maybe blessing fruit at this festival with something that you consider sacred water, like moon water. I just be careful about eating something that you don't know where the source, drinking water where you're uncertain about the source, like make sure it's good water, clear water without sickness in it, you know, like just make sure you're drinking from good things, but it could be a good way to do this. So locally, what can we do nowadays? Some of the ideas I've had, visit seasonal food markets and roadside stalls. We have heaps of those down the hill and there's heaps of roadside stalls that do have lots of fruits and vegetables that are currently in season at the moment and make food from it, make an absolute feast. Attend summer concerts, like concerts were a big part of this festival. And of course we have many, many concerts during summer. Uh, So this could be a really good time to, to dig into that energy minus coronavirus, COVID-19. In any other year, maybe you can do this. In Tasmania this year, they're holding Monofoma Festival, which is which is an annual festival um, between the 15th and 24th of January. It's, it's just, it's such a great way, I think, to honour the season and the artists and the work that they've created and harvested within themselves. So uh, it's an art festival, I probably should have mentioned that. So, like, I think that's a great way to get in and and honour this festival is to attend something like that. Observations you could make in your environment include the lammas growth that you see on some plants. Um, In Australia, you might see brush-tailed possums with their babas riding on their back. I certainly caught some images on that on our trail cam. And it makes sense. Like, this is a great time for the bubs to get fat fattened up and healthy before they have to leave mum and go find their own territories for me the biggest symbol for this season though is the long dry stalks of grass that have little um seeds at the end of them and and that will always be a massive symbol for me for this season baling is occurring so baling of long grass making hay bales this can happen any time from mid-summer onwards and another huge symbol for me for this season is blackberries. So blackberries are starting to ripen. Um, and for me, this is the symbol of the season. So 
kind of blueberries have been going for a little while in Tassie by now. I guess it depends on where you live. But blackberries are a massive symbol for Lammas or Lunasar. And that's I actually that's part of my tattoo is blackberries for this this seasonal festival. I it makes me think back to a ritual I mentioned that same ritual back in two thousand one where we had blackberries in my in our hands, and we had grains of stalk. Uh, we were sitting in a I think it was a barley field, might have been an oat field. I think it was a barley field, and we had the blackberries and they got a little bit squished in our hands and created like blood. And then we touched the grass and it kind of had this like blood and sacrifice aspect of, of the ritual. And ever since then, that's been, those two things have been such a standout for, for this ritual for me. I think a really nice thing to do is make blackberry ink for magical writing. It's something that I've done and, and we'll do again this year. They say that the that this is the start of the harvest season. Like traditionally, this is the start of the harvest season of like oats and and that kind of thing. But for us, it's kind of getting towards the later end of that season here in Australia. So I still think it's wonderful to use that as part of the festival and maybe like creating bread and that kind of stuff using the uh, oats that you have in your space, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah, it's not quite gelling with the traditional uses of this this festival. Of course, go to the beach and have a swim. Perfect time to do it. Eucalypt species are shedding their bark. I'm noticing that it's already started, so it's, it's happening at the moment. It will definitely be occurring into the next month easily. Um, and also a bunch of eucalyptus species are flowering. So if you do want to go on a pilgrimage decorated in flowers, this could be a really good way to, to get some good native flowers that you could then potentially bury at the summit instead of something that doesn't belong in the environment. Of course, apples. Apples are starting to fruit. It's going to be the, the first season of apples. The apples, oh, they're so red on the trees at the moment. It's gorgeous. And they're about to be picked and start. It's the first part of the season for the apples. And being in the Huon, that's such huge symbolism for me. So I'll definitely be doing something around apples. And I, I think I really do want to bake like a Lammas house apple. That that sounds cool. I'll just have to figure out how to do it. Um, I do... One thing I'm going to mention that might be a bit controversial or may spark some feelings in Australians in particular is how close Lammas and Lunasar are to Australia Day. And Australia Day is a public, for those who don't know, a public holiday to celebrate Australia. And essentially it was chosen, uh, the date was chosen to be close to when the first fleet docked here in Australia. So for our Indigenous community, this is a huge issue. This is a that was the start of the invasion for the genocide of of our native people here in Australia, the First Nation people. So I think while it's great to be thankful for all the great harvests we have in our life and the things that are coming into our life it would be prudent to also reflect on what it has taken this place 
for us to be where we are now and not all of it is happy and we should be aware and maybe make some reference to that in part of our ritual. Certainly I will be doing that this year and acknowledging that that profound sense of loss to be where we are. So that's pretty much it. I think I think it's uh it's a great fest it's my favorite festival as I said before and I haven't even talked about any of the modern day you know sort of wicca witchcraft practices that might happen around this. I've just talked about the traditional observations and how maybe we could celebrate them as they are. Yeah, so tell me what you're doing. I'd really love to know, really love to hear. And for those of you in the Northern Hemisphere, what are you doing? What are you doing for Imbolg? Are there any crossovers with this festival that you can see being relevant at that time? All right. Well, thank you everyone for listening. Hopefully that wasn't too much information being thrown at you because I realized it was pretty, pretty dry. And if you do want to reach out and say hi to Hannah and I, you can find us on Instagram uh, we're just witchy.bytes on Instagram. You can email us at witchy.bytes at outlook.com. Um, you can also find us on Facebook. We have a page set up there that, that you can come say hi. So, yes, thank you. I really want to know, what are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing for your Lamas Lunasa celebration? Do you even call it that? Do you have something else you're doing? Like maybe you're... Uh, do something else if you're a druid. I saw some references to something with Nordic festivals, something called Frey, Freyfaxi, like Festival of Frey, Freyfest. But I saw that that was a little bit controversial and perhaps maybe there wasn't that much historical evidence to link those things together. So, and that it was possibly more to do with Imbol, uh, Imbolc, more to do with the Wiccan year and trying to fit something in for the Norse year. So um, that would be a really interesting thing to to listen to. I'm sure there's episodes on that. Thank you for listening and I'll catch you at the next one. Bye.